Okay, now you can hear me. That was a powerful song. And what was hitting me really hard while we were singing and listening is that's our story. That's the story of how Jesus has rescued us. And uh, one of the things when I hear that and I remember how he's rescued me and I think back on my testimony, I, uh, I just think, why? You know, why, why would you go to all that trouble? Uh, but it's because of his love, you know, and that's a great introduction to what we're going to be talking about this morning is when we've experienced the love of Jesus in that way, when we know that that's our story, then we're eager to reach out to others who haven't heard and we want them to experience the love of God too, right? We want them to hear the truth of God. And so anyway, that had a big impact on me. I'm Chris Cranberry, by the way. My wife, Mary, is here with me. And uh, we live and work on the Yakima Indian Reservation out in Washington State. Uh, we've been there almost 18 years now. And uh, right off the bat, I just want to say thank you to you guys uh, for, for supporting us for years and years. When we visit churches, we ask folks to think about doing three different things. We ask people, you know, would you consider praying for us on a regular basis? Would you consider supporting us financially? And would you consider coming and working alongside us, maybe for a one-week, on a one-week team in the summer or spring, or maybe as a summer intern like Melanie did? Uh, and you guys have done all three of those things. Uh, a lot of churches do one or two, uh, but First Pres in Thomasville has done all three. So right off the bat, I just want to say thank you so much for your ongoing prayers and support and for coming, sending a group out this summer. Uh, hopefully, we've got 25 signed up, Mike Grimsley was telling me, and hopefully we'll be able to open up a few more spots. We're not sure yet. Um, but thank you for that, and thanks for inviting us to your missions conference. I think this is the third, third time we've been able to come, and uh, I was telling folks, you know, people were asking, how's the trip and how's the visit, and it just feels like home. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and, uh, but I don't think that's why it feels like home. I think it's because you belong to the Lord, your, your family, you know, and so we love coming to Thomasville and being with you guys, and I want to say thank you to Tim. Again, I always appreciate your heart and your leadership, your words, uh, and I want to say thank you to Ian and Debbie and Melanie also for the work they've done in the missions committee. Y'all are doing a great job uh, just welcoming us, and then, of course, Mike Grimsley has become a good friend of mine over the years. And Charles Balfour, too. So thank you guys and, and all the rest of y'all for making us feel at home and making us feel welcome. Uh, some of you guys are probably wondering what I'm wearing. Uh, this is a Pendleton vest, and I'm, I'm dressed the way a native man in our community uh, on the Yakima Reservation would dress when he's going somewhere special. So if you're going to a feast or a special gathering of some sort or a funeral, believe it or not, uh, folks on the res don't wear black at funerals. <laughs> so it's... Uh, not uncommon to wear this, but this vest is special to me, partly because it was given to me by Wendell Hannigan. Some of you guys have met him. Uh, if you want to see a video of Wendell, you can go to our YouTube page and, uh, and watch the promotional video he's sharing there. He's been here. He, the first time we came, I think Wendell came with me. But when he gave me this vest, it was a really special thing because it's a, it's a Pendleton vest. So in, our, in the culture where we live, if somebody gives you a Pendleton vest or a Pendleton blanket, uh, what they're saying to you is that every time you put on the vest or every time you wrap yourself in that blanket, they want you to remember that that's their prayer for you, is that you would live a long, comfortable, warm, healthy life. 
And it's not just for you. Uh, in our community, it's a very much a, a communal uh, or a collectivist culture. So anything that somebody's praying for you, they're praying for your whole family. So when I put on my vest, I always remember that's what Wendell is wanting and praying for me and my family is that God would keep us safe and warm and healthy and that we'd live a long life. And then also uh, Naomi, uh, Wendell's ex-wife, it's, they're still close, it's complicated. Uh, she, she gave me this medallion and her mom made that. And uh, so it's about the same age as me. This medallion's about 50 years old. Uh, and, and I like that it hangs right there over my heart because that's where Naomi is too. So she's close to my heart. So that's what I'm wearing. Another question people often say or ask when we visit churches is, well, what's happening now? What's God doing now? Uh, and it's, it's, it's exciting because every time we go out and visit churches, there's always new stories to tell. Uh, the Lord has been moving so actively and and so powerfully, and there's always new stuff to share. And so uh, even in this year of 2020, uh, when things were fairly well shut down, you know, COVID hit the reservation harder than mainstream America. Um, some studies are saying it hit twice as hard. Some are even saying five times as hard. So there were a lot more funerals, a lot more deaths, a lot more people in the hospital, and a lot more folks really scared, you know. And so that obviously was a real challenge for all of us working on the reservation. In the early days, about a year ago, you know, all the officials were saying just shut down and shelter in place, right? <laughs> Stay home. And I, if you remember a year ago, we didn't even know how things were spreading exactly. We know a lot more now about wearing masks and all that. But anyway, so for a while, everybody on our staff, by the way, we have 21 staff people now. Uh, including part-time and full-time, 21 staff people, and 11 of them are Native. And so we're really focused on raising up Native leaders from the community and working ourselves out of our jobs. But early on in the pandemic, about a year ago, we looked at each other and said, okay, we don't want to be the reason this thing's spreading around the res. So we, we stayed home, but then after a while we said, okay, we got to think outside the box and get creative about how to reach out to the community and I was really, really proud of our staff people. I, I challenged them. I said, get creative. You know, we can't do what we normally do. And everything we normally do is face-to-face, hands-on, incarnational ministry, right? <laughs> and now we can't do that. So let's pray. Let's get creative and see, ask that question, what can we do? What are the felt needs in the community? How can we address them? How can we share the love and the truth of Jesus in that way? And our staff did a great job of thinking outside the box. And so one of the things we did was we opened up our church building. We cleaned it super good, then opened it up and, and rearranged everything so that we could do online schooling with kids who don't have Wi-Fi at home. And so every morning, still today, every morning, our staff goes out and picks up, not today, it's Sunday, but tomorrow they'll be out. They go out and they pick up kids in the community, bring them to the church, and help them get set up on their Wi-Fi with their laptops. I think Bill Gates gave all the kids laptops where we are. I don't know. They all wound up with them somehow. But they get them set up, and they can do their schoolwork. And we're there to tutor them. We feed them lunch and then take them home at the end of the day. And there's about 25 students in that program. And they're doing significantly better than their classmates who don't come to the church. And that was just one idea that 
come up with. My wife came up with a cool idea. She said one day at breakfast, she said, we need a mobile library that we can take out in the community. We can get just a, a few kids at a time going through the little library, and we can check up on them, see how they're doing, encourage them in their schoolwork, uh, and give them a snack to take home, things like that. We can touch base uh, with the children that we don't get to see right now. And uh, so sure enough, we had 32 different people worked on building a tiny library on a trailer and filling it with books. And uh, the first time we took it out, 55 different kids, uh, they, they spaced out, you know, and all that stuff. But they came through the library and we got to check in with some of the kids that we love and work with in that way. So there was a lot of thinking outside the box going on. Uh, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited about our new staff people. I'm excited about the fact that we have a whole lot of young adult native leaders that are Christians, that are stepping up into roles in the church and in the community, even in 2020. You know, you would think there wouldn't be many opportunities, but we've done COVID relief. We've hauled firewood to elderly people that need it for heat. Uh, we've just, we've done, figured out ways to minister to people without being face-to-face. And in the midst of that, uh, the ministry's grown. And so I'm excited about that. But be praying for our young Native leaders. Um, there's a target on their back. You know, when they step up and say, I want to serve in the church or in my home or in the community, you know, the devil doesn't like that. So uh, if you get a chance, go to our website, go online, check out Facebook, all that. And you can see faces of some of these young leaders and pray for them. Well, this morning, what I really want to share with you is the heart of the ministry of Sacred Road. Uh, it's kind of a cornerstone. We think of it as a cornerstone passage. Uh, and Tim read most of it earlier for you. It's Isaiah 58, starting in verse 6, verse 6 through 12. And again, the, one of the main reasons I share this with you is I want to encourage you to ask some of these questions of yourself. What does it look like to embrace this here in Thomasville? But also, I would, I would ask you to be praying for us. Uh, we're heading back to the reservation in about a week. Uh, it's a very rough place. There's a lot of brokenness, a lot of darkness, a lot of heartache, and <clears throat> a lot of suffering. And the pandemic has made it even worse, as you can imagine. So there's a lot of work to do, and it's not easy. And we need your prayers. And... Uh, this will help you know how to pray for Sacred Road, and you'll see what I mean here in just a minute. Verse 6, I remember the first time I read this was 25 plus years ago, <clears throat> and uh, verse 6 says this, is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? And I remember when I read that, I, I don't know, I was in my mid, early to mid-20s, I think. And I thought, well, that sounds like a job for Superman. That's not, you know, that's one of those verses that doesn't really apply to me, is what I thought. Um, because I don't even know, I don't know about that. I don't know about oppression and breaking yokes and all that kind of stuff. And I, I thought, you know, my first thought really was, that sounds like a job for a superhero. And I'm just a regular guy. So I, can, I don't really have to pay attention to this one. But then I thought, well, okay, seriously, though, that's, that's more like a job for judges and lawyers and police officers, politicians. No, probably not. But anyway, so 
I thought, well, that's, that's official people that have PhDs or something like that. They know, what, they know how to break yokes and set the oppressed free and that kind of thing, right? Well, I think the Lord knew there were going to be people like me, think that, like me thinking that kind of stuff. So he gave us verse 7 <laughs> where he breaks it down a little more uh, plainly. He says, is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Okay, so now, <laughs> now I have a new problem. Now I know exactly what he's talking about, okay? Uh, but now I'm nervous. And I remember, I, I remember this really vividly, even I think I was like three. Uh, and I don't remember a lot from when I was three. But I think this was so disturbing to me that it stuck with me. My mom sat me down and tried to explain sharing, this concept of sharing to me. And I did not like it. And uh, she started off, and of course, fasting, that came later. I don't like fasting either, but that, you'll, you'll, there's an overlap here. She said, if you have two chocolate chip cookies and your friend comes over to play, you need to give one of your cookies to him. And I was like, okay, well, there's a problem. Because if I have two chocolate chip cookies, I want both of them. And I, I actually thought, you know, the way to solve this is cram them down my throat as fast as possible before the friend gets there. And then I have both cookies and he can't take one away. And then she went on to talk about toys. She said, oh, you know, all your toys in your room. If your friend comes over, you need to let your friend play with your toys. And I remember thinking, no, I just kind of want him to sit over there and watch me. He can watch me play with my toys. How about that? That wasn't what she was talking about. So the trouble is, and I get frustrated with myself even now, I'm 51, and I think, okay, so from the time I was about three, <clears throat> I've been trying to get this concept of sharing, and deep down, I still don't like it. Like, I have my stuff, and it, I want to keep my stuff, right? <laughs> and if somebody wants to watch me play with my stuff, that's fine, but I want to keep my stuff for myself. And that's what God's talking about. He's saying, I want you to share if you have extra, share your bread with the hungry. Think about this. It's, it's interesting because he's talking about fasting. So I kind of feel like he's saying, if you're not going to eat that anyway, like you're fasting already, right? So if you're not going to eat that, how about giving it to somebody that's not fasting? You know, it makes sense. And that's one thing about this passage is all of it makes perfect sense. That's one of the reasons it's so disturbing, <laughs> right? He says, I want you to share your bread with the hungry. Bring the homeless poor into your house. I don't know if you've ever brought a homeless person into your house. Uh, you don't sleep as well is one thing I've noticed, <laughs> right? Stuff, sometimes stuff disappears. You know, you're not really even trying to share that, but it's gone because somebody <laughs> took off with it. On the res, they say it grew, it grew legs. Where's such a thing? Oh, it grew legs. It's gone. Um... When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. The very first time I ever went to the reservation where we worked, we worked in a little town called White Swan and uh, the surrounding air area there. <clears throat> We're in the most remote part of the reservation where there really are no other healthy churches doing a whole lot. And the very first time I went there, we were doing kids club in a housing project. So this is the poorest of the poor. And there were two kids there, and this was really disturbing. Uh, I was in charge of the kids' club. I was a youth director. I had about 25 students there and some leaders. And 
we were doing this complicated youth ministry, I mean, a children's ministry thing that I came up with, <laughs> with stations and everything. But something that kept happening is I would see this little girl who was about four years old, same age as my daughter, Beth. I would see her out of the corner of my eye, and she looked a lot like Beth, just dark, darker. And I would see her, and I was missing Beth because she was back home. She was only four. She couldn't come on the mission trip. And my heart would leap up, and I thought, Beth. And I wanted to scoop this little girl up and hold her, and I realized, and I would turn, and it wasn't Beth. And I would have scared her to death if I had scooped her up. And there was a little boy. His name was Thomas. I still remember Thomas. He was two, and he was in bad shape. Uh, he was filthy dirty. He, all he ever had on was a diaper that needed to be changed like 10 hours ago. He was barefoot. There was broken glass around, nails, he had lice, he had a green runny nose, he was in bad shape. But he looked a lot like my two-year-old son at that time, David. And I would see Thomas out of the corner of my eye. And without even thinking about it, my heart leaped up. Now, this has never happened before or since. It was just one week in the summer of 2000 when I was in White Swan. Never happened anywhere else. But I saw this little guy at the corner of my, my eye. My heart leaped up. David. I wanted to scoop him up. And I turned. It was Thomas. And that happened, I don't know, 10 or 12 times during that week. And every time it happened, I was devastated. Like, there was one point I had to j kind of just walk away from the group because I could not control myself. I was, I was just weeping. And the reason is, is because for a split second, I looked at those little kids in that housing project on the reservation as if they were my own kids. And that's what this verse right here is saying. God's saying to us, his people, he's saying, don't turn your back on your own flesh and blood. And for a split second, I looked at those kids as if they were my kids. I didn't mean to. And it, again, it's... That little, that trick of the brain or whatever it was or what God was doing, it hadn't ever happened again just that one week. But it changed my life forever. <laughs> it changed my life forever. But what would it look like for you right here in Thomasville or wherever else you go to not turn your back on your own flesh and blood? Um, what God's saying here is the hungry are your people. The naked are your people. The homeless are your people. In a minute, he says, the afflicted. He says, I want you to satisfy the desire of the afflicted. And what he's saying to us is, those are our people. How could that be? Well, before Jesus, we were homeless. Maybe not physically, but we were exposed, naked, Exposed before an angry God. Ephesians 2 says, we were objects of wrath, justly deserving his displeasure. Right? But then what? Then Jesus wrapped himself around us. We were naked, but he took his robe of righteousness, the Bible says, and he wrapped us in it, right? And we didn't have a place to stay. Psalms says again and again, he's our refuge. We run into him. I love to, when I think about that, I think about Noah and his family running into the ark to be saved. 
from God's wrath, right? We run into Jesus, and we have a place of refuge. We have a home. And beyond that, he said, I'm going ahead of you to heaven. I'm going to make a home in heaven that's the perfect place for you. He's been working on it for 2,000 years now. It's going to be great, right? We said, we said, I'm hungry. I'm starving spiritually. And Jesus didn't just say, here's bread. He said, I am the bread of life, right? That's why God, God is saying, I want you to remember where you came from. I want you to remember who you are. I want you to remember who your people are. The hungry, the naked, the homeless, the afflicted. If we remember our story and we remember what Jesus has done for us, then all of this makes perfect sense, right? Everything lines up. Let's keep going. It says, when you do these things, it says, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will spring up speedily. The righteousness of what your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You'll call and the Lord will answer. You'll cry and he'll say, here I am. Those are six promises right there. Six amazing promises. But every single one of them, I can't go through it, but if you look, every single one of those implies need. If your light is going to break forth like the dawn, it means you're in the dark. If your healing is going to come quickly, it means you're either injured or sick, right? So the Lord's saying, I know I'm calling you out on a limb. If you start to reach out to the homeless and the hungry and the naked and the afflicted, you're going to get knocked around. You're going to find yourself in the dark sometimes, but I'm going to be there. You're going to find yourself hurt, but I'm going to heal you. He goes on, he says, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness. Now, stop for a second and think about that. The pointing finger and the speaking of wickedness. When you think about Native Americans, how often do you hear or do you see pointing fingers? And (laughs) sometimes when we visit churches, this is one of the worst questions we get. People say, why don't they just, and then fill in the blank. Whatever's coming next is not brilliant, I'll just tell you that. You know, (laughs) The person is saying, look, I've invested, you know, 60 seconds in this problem. Why don't they just, you know, and that's not really, maybe it's not wicked speaking, I don't know, it feels like it to me, because I've heard it so many times. But it's not a simple problem. If it was simple, they would have fixed it a long time ago, right? It's, a compl- it's hard. We need miracles on the reservation, you know? It's one of those things where we created something, our, our federal government, whoever you want to talk about, has created something that we don't know what to do with now. I think of it like nuclear waste. It's like, okay, we have this barrel of stuff, and it's going to kill us. What do we do? I don't know what to do. Let's bury it in a hole. That's what the reservations are, basically, Bury it in a hole. Let's don't look at it. Maybe the next generation can deal with it if they happen to dig it up. But pointing fingers and speaking of wickedness. If we remember our story, we remember where we came from and what Jesus has done for us, the pointing finger, our pointing fingers go away, right? This is a key phrase. This is a great one to pray for us at Sacred Road. Verse 10, it says, if you pour yourself out, Pour yourself out. The theme for the conference is flourish, right? 
That's one of the ways we flourish as believers is when we pour ourselves out. Now, the scary thing is when you do that, you're empty, right? But the flourishing really comes when the Lord refills you. And we turn into more of a conduit, right? <laughs> it's more like a canal where the waters flow, or a, river, a beautiful river up in the mountains where the water is just flowing through. And the opposite of that would be like a stagnant pond full of scum, you know, right? So we want to have that flow going. We want the love and the truth of Jesus to be flowing through us, not just sitting in it with a, like a hot tub, right? <laughs> and so he says, if you pour yourself out, I lost it, there it is. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, here come promises again. Then your light will rise in the darkness. Your gloom will be like the noonday. The, glory, or the, the Lord will guide you always and satisfy your desire in a sun-scorched land and make your bones strong. This, those, are, <laughs> those are all things we need. That, again, pray for us on the reservation. We need guidance. We need strength. We need all these promises that he's talking about. He goes on. He says, I'll make you like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. And again, that's a fantastic thing to pray. That's like an oasis in the desert, right? Uh, that's what we want to be. That's what we want to be, Mary and me, as individuals, as a married couple, as a family, as a church. We want our church and our people and all the individuals that are part of it to be like an oasis in a sun-scorched land. When you think Washington State, you think, well, it must be raining there all the time. But we're on the other side of the Cascades. We're on the dry side. So we literally live in a desert. We only get eight inches of rain a year. It's sagebrush and tumbleweeds. And so it's a pretty vivid image to think of an oasis on the reservation. Uh, but I'd ask you guys to pray that for us. Pray that the living water, that Jesus himself, would be flowing through each of us and all of us uh, in a way that makes his love and his truth accessible to the naked, the homeless, the poor, the afflicted, and that they would flock, not to me or to our church even, but to Jesus. That's our prayer. Just think oasis in the desert. The last little part, another promise. It says in verse 12, your ancient ruins will be rebuilt. You will raise up the age-old foundations, or sorry, the foundations of many generations. You'll be called the repairer of the breach the restorer of streets to dwell in. Well, the first time I read that, I thought, well, that's as confusing as verse 6. <laughs> what in the world is he talking about now? Simply, he's saying entire communities, towns, can be transformed, rebuilt, restored, redeemed, renewed by the power of the gospel at work. And that's what we long to see on the reservation. I hope that down the road, however many years, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, people will come back to White Swan after being gone a long time and say, whoa, what happened here? And everybody will point to Jesus. That's what I long to see in our community. And the Lord is at work. It's happening. And we couldn't be there and we couldn't do it without you guys. So thanks again for your prayers, your financial support. I'm going to tell a quick story and then we're done. Wendell Hannigan that gave me this vest, he's my native father because he also gave me an Indian name.
But our first summer on the reservation, we went to a powwow, Mary and me and a couple other folks. Turned out we were the only four non-Indians at this powwow. <laughs> Everybody else is in feathers and regalia, right, except us. Well, we, can't, we got there. We were trying to slip in, slip out. But Wendell saw us come in. We had already met and kind of hit it off. He took four Pendleton blankets like this, but big blankets, put them in the middle of the floor. And he told the drummers to drum and sing. And he told us, the non-Indians, to come out on the floor and to dance around the blankets. Now, I'm not a dancer, okay? But you don't tell Wendell no either. So we were doing our best. He put a, a, a championship grass dancer in front of us. His name is Kenny Scabby Robe. And he told Kenny to dance and us to follow him. We did our best. So we danced around. Finally, the song ended. And Wendell said, now take a blanket. Each of you take a blanket. And those blankets, that's a, that's a huge gift. That's a tremendous gift, especially in that context where everybody sees it. And so we all took a blanket and went back to the stands and then went home. A few weeks later, Wendell pulled me aside. He said, I bet you wonder what that was all about. <laughs> I said, yeah. It was our first summer on the res. We didn't know anything. I said, yeah, I was wondering what that was about. He said, well, that's what you and your people are doing. And the reason I'm telling you this is because you are our people in Wendell's mind. He didn't, Wendell doesn't know Tim that well, so you're my people. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tribal mentality, right? He said, you and your people are dancing around our land like you danced around those blankets. And you're lifting the sorrows and the burdens off of our people like you picked up those blankets off the floor. And again, pray that we will be able to continue doing that, that we're dancing to the sound of the gospel around our broken, dark community, lifting the sorrows and the burdens. That's what your one-week team will be doing this summer. And uh, again, you've enabled us to do that for a long time, and we're really, really grateful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, these are some challenging ideas in, verse, in verses 6 through 12 in Isaiah 58. <laughs> I think back to learning about sharing for the first time and learning that I didn't like the whole idea. Uh, and I still struggle. All these years later, still struggle with something as simple as sharing. But Lord, I don't struggle nearly as much when I remember what you have shared with me what you have sacrificed what you've given up so that I could belong to you so that I could have a home so that I could be robed in your righteousness so that I would not starve to death spiritually so that I would not be cut off from my heavenly father forever Lord Help us to remember our story. Help us to remember where we came from and where we would be if it weren't for you. Work in our hearts, Lord. Make us generous people who are eager and willing to sacrifice everything we have for your kingdom and for the lost. We pray these things in your name. Amen.